Good morning, everyone. Uh, Marina to you around the country on this uh, Thursday. Our show brought to you courtesy of Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Of course, everything green with a touch of yellow, the John Deere uh, tractors and uh, all their equipment is absolutely top draw. So get into Brandt and acquire more about it. We're going to uh, talk to Simon Hughes very shortly. Uh, Simon Hughes is well qualified uh, to talk about day one of the Ashes, and I'll tell you why shortly. Uh, just after 9.30, talk back time. Uh, we're going to uh, ask for your thoughts on uh, did Baz get it right with his team? No specialist spinner. Uh, did Australia, how well did Australia play if you were watching the Ashes? Um, you could also perhaps uh, give us a look at uh, who you think might be in the All Black starting 15 to face Argentina first up. And what about the Highlanders dumping 16 players? 16 players. Uh, is there enough quality and depth to improve uh, their recent slump? I think it's fair to say. It's a good uh, adjective. Uh, have a, a multi for you just before 10 o'clock. And then after 10, talk to Wendy Henderson. Now, Wendy is uh, a former football fern with a lot of experience. Uh, and uh, she's part of the FIFA World Cup World, uh, World Cup for Women commentary team. Uh, looking forward to t- catching up with Wendy uh, about what she thinks, who are the, the main players here, and what about our team? Uh, have they approved enough? Can we make a bit of history, win a game, get through to the second round? Um, just after turn 20, we'll have a pacing for purpose horse. Uh, Chappie, Alex Chapman, uh, will be the bulletin guest this morning. A lot to talk about there, um, and uh, including, of course, uh, the Black Ferns, Pack 4 and Laurie O'Reilly Cup match, which is coming up tonight. Uh, we'll also talk about uh, Sam Whitelock uh, racing the clock to play against Argentina on the back of Ian Foster's comments, saying he played uh, a little bit injured and has pulled up a little bit sore. Uh, after 11 o'clock, Lyndon Moore will be with us uh, out of Australia. Uh, Lyndon, of course, part of uh, Hoopheads and uh, FIFA World Women's Asia Cup, I should say. The Asia Women's Cup is on at the moment. New Zealand trying to qualify for the Olympics. We've got a, a temper bedpost machine going all day today, 88.33. Love your thoughts on the cricket or anything else that comes to mind. Uh, what about the jersey? What do you think about the jersey? I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, and, uh, of course, we've got a stump smithy just by the by. Uh, and just by the by, 200 $200 up for grabs today. So uh, we're expecting you to light up the lines uh, for your calls and your opportunity to do that. Uh, Joey is in uh, producing the show today. I think Louis Herman Watt is moving house. And uh, Brian, of course, uh, The Rock. The Rock Brian is uh, there on all the machines for us to get things going. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. I mean, if you're wearing a jersey featuring ergonomical side panels in the abdominal areas for a tight three-dimensional fit, how can you possibly, how can you possibly not win the World Cup? Especially one that is, and I quote, centred around the significance of the New Zealand silver fern, which holds deep cultural meaning to all New Zealanders and the Maori community as a symbol of strength, resilience and enduring power. Over that, it has an emblem made up of 14 different sized ferns which signifies the diversity and differing experience of the current squad. Honestly, reminds me of a compare at a fashion show describing the next model's outfit as they pose down the catwalk. And incidentally, aren't the Maori community a part of all New Zealanders? So why the and? And is it a bad omen we put the whole deal in front of a Frenchman to determine? Faye the Wolf, interesting name, interesting choice. Is it a world-renowned street designer? We are, we are told, and there I was thinking, we were playing on a rugby field against a bunch of teams who won't give a toss what it looks like. 
as long as they can tackle it, repel it, and run over the top of it. Let's just hope there's enough room on it to get the signatures of the squad on, because that's important for the collectors of memorabilia and for the fundraisers as well. Personally, for me, just put a design of a bloke carrying a couple of tantalised fence posts up a hill. That'll, symb that'll symbolise a great All Black to me of strength, of drive and of determination. It was certainly good enough for all who cared back in the day. And just finally, there's only one press conference I want to see Sam Kane at. And that'll be the one in late October at Stade de France in Paris with a bloody great beaming smile on his face alongside Ian Foster. And you reckon there won't be some parting shots at that press conference? Rightio, let's get into the first day of the Ashes and uh, we're going to talk to uh, Simon Hughes about it. Now, Simon Hughes played 205 first-class games, basically um, for Middlesex, and most of his career is at Middlesex, of course. Where did Middlesex play? At Lords. He also played uh, for Northern Transvaal and Durham, and, uh, of course, Aucklanders uh, back in the day might remember him having uh, a little stint, too, with the Grafton Cricket Club. He's uh, an analyst, a uh, well-known analyst, in fact, the best analyst uh, in TV uh, a TV in terms of uh, putting together packages for review and analysing play. Uh, he's also an author with uh, a number of uh, publications, including uh, an award-winning book called A Lot of Hard Yakka. He is uh, a bit of a character, this bloke, and it's a real uh, pleasure for me to bring him onto the show this morning. Simon Hughes, good morning to you. Morning. Morning, Stockley. Absolutely. Uh, you, I was right? really... Yeah, I'm really, really good, mate. Um, 3.39 for five. Let's look at the first day of the Ashes, first of all. 3.39 for five. Um, you'd have to say, being stuck in the bat, Australia's day, clearly. I've just been hit by a rabbit that's fallen off a shelf in this hotel uh, lobby that I'm sitting in. Very strange. Um, it's, a, it's a, not a real <laughs> rabbit. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a stuck rabbit. Uh, I'll just put it in the, the hotel lobby uh, bar. Yeah, it was a it was a poor day. Uh, I mean, I think it's funny actually because the uh, excitement when Stokes won the toss and announced that he was going to bowl first, there was a, you know the typical roar of excitement from the crowd, as you'd expect, as you heard yourself from being at Lords many times. Actually, you know, a roar, which is quite rare at Lords. Everyone's a bit kind of refined and a bit quiet, but they were quite excited. And by the end, you could see people walking home looking a bit dispirited because the, the whole excitement had gone out of it. It was it was like the sort of bur the balloon had burst and all the air kind of ex expelled. So it was a, a bit dispiriting day. Smith, who, you know, England is sort of eminent, enemy number one in, in a nice way, uh, just, you know, dominated. And there's always been this kind of, there's, there's a constant question, how do you get, Steve Smith out, and we've never been able to answer it. And did you know, I've, I've actually figured out the best way of getting Steve Smith out. I think it's getting the spider cam to fly low and near the wicket, because there's no other way <laughs> of getting him out in England. The only way is annoying him, distracting him, getting someone to move about by the sight screen or something, because bulls just don't get him out. So you've got to kind of find another way. 
Right, some hard questions then. No wickets for Anderson and Broad. What's uh, what's going on there? Nothing for those two who normally in their pomp would pick up wickets there quite simply. Totally agree. Uh, they're, they're, I think Jimmy, we're, we're seeing the last days of Jimmy, a bit like the last days of Putin. We're seeing the last days of Jimmy. And uh, I, I think it's just age is just starting to catch up with him. I mean, to, to give a sort of technical assessment for a minute, he's lost his outswinger to be honest. And, uh, you know, that was his kind of go-to thing. That was his default. That was his uh, exciting delivery, that late outswinger that got so many batsmen in trouble. He can't bowl that anymore. He only basically makes it go in or across the left-hander. And he's a bit more predictable. And I think he's just struggling a bit. You know, he's looking a bit labouring in the field. So, you know, he's accurate. He's still an absolute master of control. He's not got that waspish, you know, really devilish swing anymore. And Broad actually played bloody well in the last game. You know, he got the, he got he got his tail up. But today, I, I mean, whether you know, when you're 36, we've, we've all got a bit older, you know, obviously in the last few years, and it's difficult to sustain your intensity, isn't it? You know, when you're playing Test matches fairly back to back, I think you know Broad was brilliant in the last Test. Now I sort of feel like he's, you know, he's not shot his bolt exactly, but he just didn't look as if he quite had that cutting edge that he had in the last test, and that's because he's 36. Jimmy's 40. Stockley, he's played 180 test matches, Jimmy Anderson. 180 test matches for a fast bowler. There, there is going to be some wear and tear there, and I think we're starting to see it. Yeah, I, I, sadly, I, I, think, um, I think you're right there, and I, I hope it some stage in the series we see a bit of the real Jimmy Anderson but at the moment it looks like Australian have uh, have his measure at, uh, at the po- at this point look uh, you mentioned uh, Steve Smith I thought the crucial partnership though the one that really sealed the deal for Australia on the day was with Travis Head 77 14 boundaries I mean uh, Simon they, with all the research that uh, teams do these days do they not realize that uh, Travis Head can play the short ball well, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a good one. It's a good point, actually. He can't play the short ball if it's a surprise delivery. But if it's, a, if it's you know, you know that it's coming because every man is on the leg side behind the square and there's no mid-off or mid-on, you kind of know what's coming, don't you? So I, I think it was telegraphed a bit too much by England. He, he does have trouble with the short ball, but it's been so kind of written about and illustrated and almost sort of thrown in his face that he now can stand back on his thumbs and play like a baseball. So I think England lacks a bit of guile. Uh, you know, when, when you want to get a batsman out who's struggling against a short ball, you mix it up. You bowl normally and then you shock him with a really good short ball. But England just bombarded him with short balls and he knew what was coming. And, and he actually, I mean, he got him timed the ball to death. He was, he, he was brilliant. No wonder his batting average, I think, in the last two years is about 80. Because just anything slightly offline whistles to the boundary. I thought, um, just looking at Ben Stokes, three overs, three token overs for 21 runs. I don't think he's anywhere near 100% fit. In fact, uh, he's he's looking decidedly old in the park to me. And of course, the burden of captaincy as well. Um, Stokes, the I don't think it's going to be Stokes the all-rounder very much more, if at all. I think you're right, mate. I, I, I mean, he's on one leg. You know, he, he looks really vulnerable. 
and I, I feel for him because if that leg is, is it's held together with tape and safety pins, uh, left leg, and uh, you can't bowl, you know, in a test match in that sort of situation. Um, obviously, his batting is still great, but you know what? He, in, against Ireland, which, which was a couple of tests ago, he, he won the test and he didn't bat or bowl. And I think it's the first time that a captain's ever done that, won a test match and didn't even bat or bowl. Even you didn't do that, did you? No, I never did. Well, not once. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's um, it's a worry. Uh, the you need that fifth bowl option, which Stokes, when he's fit, provides. And uh, yeah, there's nothing there. You know, he can bowl three or four overs, and then he's he's limping away. And you know, 80 miles an hour, it's no good. So I mean, look, I predicted three-one Australia at the start of this series. And, I'm thinking it's, that was that was a conservative. It could be five 0 Wow. Okay. Um, that coming from uh, a, a devout English uh, cricket man too, uh, folks. To be fair, but um, and partisan, I think it's. But yeah, you do sound like Glenn McGrath. Hey, um, just finally, uh, Loz, before we let you get back to um, what you're doing. Um, I just want to know, uh, what do you think will be the upshot of the findings by this Independent Commission for Equity is on widespread discrimination and racism, sexism, classism and elitism? I mean, you know, uh, you, 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 your, your playground was Lords. Um, you know these people, you know the institution that Lords was. Sure, it was elitist. Sure, it is uh, a situation where, um, you know, uh, men were only in the, in, the, in the Lords Pavilion for a long time. Uh, they've knocked uh, Eton versus Harrow on the head. Uh, they've knocked Cambridge versus Oxford on the head in terms of playing there because that's seen as elitist. What next? Actually, you're wrong about that. They re resurrected Eton versus Harrow and Oxford and Cambridge, actually. Uh, that, that was right. You, you, they, it was ostracised, but now they've, they've brought it back because of members' complaints. Look, I, I think the, um, the report is pretty drastic. It's pretty alarming. I don't think our game is in as bad a state as is portrayed, actually. I think, really, and you, you all know this because you were part of the documentary I made about the World Cup uh, that England won in 2019, I'm sorry to say it, New Zealand's expense. But that team, that English team, was very much representative of modern Britain. It was very diverse. It had a, a, a Mark Wood from Northumbrian mining village. It had Adam Rashid from a poor Bradford a community that the, the Muslims, that he, you know, he practices in, in a mosque, but prays in a mosque. It had Moen Ali from a poor area of, of uh, Birmingham. It had Jofra Archer imported from Barbados. You know, you couldn't get much more diverse than that. It had Owen Moore as captain of a fairly ordinary community in Ireland. So. I don't think you can accuse English cricket really of being totally undiverse. There are issues. We could do be better. But the, the simple solution is more cricket in state schools. And I can't remember what the situation is in New Zealand. But in England, there are no cricket players in state schools. There's no cricket played in state schools. If you did have that, it would solve all our problems because it would get the inner cities, it would get at multiple communities, it would get at the, the poor and the rich. Uh, as well. So, you know, that's our problem. We don't have cricket in the state schools. It's a public school sport. When I say public school, I mean private, fee-paying school. It, they, they sustain the game and, and they get the blame for making cricket elitist, but actually without them, there wouldn't be any cricketers because state schools don't play cricket. So that's the solution to our problems. I don't think it's as bad as is portrayed by the report, but we could always do better. 
Simon Hughes, uh, yours great to catch up with you. It's been a, a long time, and uh, I look forward to the uh, when we can um, <coughs> we can uh, have a taste and and catch up catch up old times. And I think you owe me a couple. So thanks for staying up this late because I know normally you're not a night bird, night up, not a night owl. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I'll go back to my I'll go back to my fifteenth point. All right. Yeah, I, I think you will too. Good on you, boy. Uh, Simon Hughes there out of London. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, who was at the cricket today? Yeah, Simon uh, uh, opened the bowling and bowled a lot of overs for Middlesex. Uh, he knows the intricacies of the slopes and the pitch surface itself. So uh, I was interested to get his uh, viewpoint on that. Great book, actually. A lot of hard yakka. If you uh, read it, won a, a, an award. It was about. Um, it's a little bit like the the book about how tough it is on the PGA to try and, you know, make a quid and uh, when you're a, a, a county player trying to make your way in the game. It's um, very similar to that. So, uh, yeah, Simon Hughes there out of London. It is 9.20 here on SENZ, certainly for me. Australia clearly in front in this test match. One of these Yes, it might have heard, sounded like uh, Simon Hughes was having one of those nights. Uh, sometimes uh, the Ashes and uh, Test matches are a bit of a party time for those uh, people that aren't involved in the actual playing of it, the commentators, etc. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the audio wasn't absolutely brilliant, was it? So we apologise for that. But we did turn it up as uh, loud as we possibly could, and it's pretty hard uh, from the other side of the world when you try to dictate uh, when people make themselves available. So it was cool that we got uh, those impressions and uh, I hope you were able to hear uh, enough of it anyway. And if you were watching the Test match uh, last night, first, uh, especially the first few overs, there was an intriguing event. Talk about pitch invaders in New Zealand, and we have uh, had those at McLean Park, of course, and what a talking point that was. Uh, what about what happened last night at Lords? All right. Well, here we are. We've got, we've got protesters on the field, as we anticipated. Uh, they're on the pitch throwing the orange powder of the Just Stop Oil campaign. And this was expected. So two of them, one's been crash-tackled, the other's been carried off, and they've dispensed the, the orange powder, which has been a feature of the, the Just Stop Oil campaign here in the UK. Phil Long? Uh, David Warner and um, Ben Stokes stopped one of the protesters from getting to the... Oh, hang on. Someone, one of them carrying them off. That was Johnny Burstow has carried the protester off the field. He's receiving a round of applause from the grandstand. Uh, I spoke with the MCC before the test match, Flem, and this was expected. They, they knew there'd be protest this week, as there was at the Crucible during the uh, during the uh, Snooker World Championships and the, the Rugby Union Premiership final here as well. Uh, they've actually prepared a second wicket on this block just in, in case. case they dig up the pitch. So this is uh, the only thing I would have suggested is it's not it's not the the fittest looking fitness staff that I've yeah. seen, not, not, not the biggest, I'm expecting 400 metre type builds, um, as we're just seeing footage of Bairstow. Um, Jeez, he's carried in the whole way off. Who, I'd be worried if I was that protester, because Johnny dropped a lot of catches in the first <laughs> test. And, and Johnny's ran straight off the field as well, so a bit going on here. So the ground staff are out in the middle now, Carl McDermott and his team, to, to clean up the red powder, or the orange powder I should say, so there will be a delay. There was a delay, quite a sizable delay actually, because after Johnny Besto carried uh, the fan off, of course, he had to go back upstairs and change his own apparel. 
maybe had uh, powder or sort of substance on it. But um, yeah, so there was a delay while uh, they waited for Johnny to do that and get the, everything back in order, get rid of, uh, they got the, the big uh, blowing machine out to get rid of all uh, the orange stuff that was there. Lucky they didn't actually carry oil out and pour it on the pitch. That would probably have been a, 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 a more drastic sort of move, but um, really stupid, isn't it? Uh, absolutely stupid. You're not going to get away with it. You've got to pay a lot of money to get in, so let's hope they do at least pay their ticket price. And if you're a cricket, half a cricket fan, why wouldn't you do it later in the day so you can watch some cricket beforehand? Uh, anyway, uh, the other thing that was uh, interesting, of course, uh, last night um, was... Uh, the uh, the Ben Stokes side of things, and uh, sorry, the Steve Smith side of things, because Steve Smith uh, managed to uh, achieve something very, very special in the game. Only the very best get this far. Now that Steve Smith facing up on 28, he's on the threshold of a remarkable moment. He needs three more runs to become the fastest man in test matches, in test matches played to reach 9,000 runs. Stokes looking to try and stop him. He's in from the nursery end and that's flicked away is. through mid-wicket and that is his 9,001st run in Test Cricket. The fastest man to get there. You heard it here first on SEN Test Cricket with McAfee celebrating 30 years of coffee fit for an Aussie. <laughs> well, that's interesting uh, and that is a hell of an achievement. Steve Smith and he's going to score 10, 11,000, isn't he? I mean, he's still a relatively young guy and he he missed out on a bit of test cricket too, um, by his own doing. Uh, but my understanding was that it was actually Kumar Sangakara in 172 innings. So we'll check up on that, uh, because I've seen a, a graphic come up with uh, Kumar Sangakara, uh, which would make Steve Smith the second fastest with 174 innings. However, uh, we'll take it anyway, and yes, uh, Steve Smith, 85 not out. And if uh, England don't get rid of him, and he bats well with Alex Carey and the rest of the tail... Uh, another 100, 150 runs, and I think that puts it beyond England from the get-go. Simple as that. Uh, Australia are 1-0 up in the series, and uh, uh, of course uh, uh, they're, just, uh, they're looking very good. They're playing a hell of a good brand of cricket, a very safe and solid brand of cricket, but they are 1-0 up in the series. They will do England no favours here, absolutely none, uh, and no semblance, and I'll, I'll bet a lot of English cricket pundits and fans were remarking about this, no semblance of a declaration from Australia on the first day as uh, came in the first test when England declared. Uh, so Australia will march on. It is 9.31. We'll be back shortly. Yes, we'd like you to be the voice too, actually, on 0800 150 That is our talkback uh, number, and we'd love you to come in on that. Our text uh, line, of course, on the Temper Bedpost machine is uh, 8833, 8833. Topics today, the Ashes. What did you think uh, about day one? Um, do you feel as if uh, Brendan and Ben Stokes are under a hell of a lot of pressure? We're only a test match and a day into this Ashes series. We all knew it was going to be a defining one. Um, uh, how much pressure are they under now because uh, they looked decidedly limp and lacklustre they were the two adjectives I got uh, from some of the British newspapers limp and lacklustre uh, which is uh, not what you want to find about a bowling attack that wins the toss and bowls on a cloudy day on a green pitch uh, the other thing is the all black jersey what do you make of it? 
I'm not that fussed on it, to be perfectly honest. I think it's just another marketing ploy. Uh, I just get a black jersey, put some white numbers on it, and let's go for it, man. Let's go win the World Cup with that on. Uh, Dino from Dunedin, good morning to you. Well, I couldn't agree more, mate, about that rugby jersey. Like Straight away, I, I got on the old uh, Rebel Sports page just to see what they were charging for it, $209. And that French fella's taken three years to design it, so can you give me Mark Robinson's number and Oh, I'll volunteer to design the next one for the twenty. <laughs> when is it? Twenty twenty-seven World Cup, and I reckon I'll take five minutes. I'll put Steinlager on the right tit, and I'll put Rothmans across the white collar. Just go back to the old days and try and win something under razor. It should be pretty easy. But upside down ferns, mate, is that just to symbolise Foster's tenure in charge? Or am I reading something into this, or what? I don't <laughs> I get don't it. Look, I don't understand all the technical side behind it um, and the cultural side behind it. I know we're, we're in a changing society, but at the end of the day, it's a black jersey with white numbers on it. Um, and, you know, you can have the odd sponsor's logo. I suppose they pay, pay for the rights to that, Dino. But I don't think it has to be as technical as that, does it, really? Upside down ferns, what's technical about that? They're saying that's generational <laughs> stuff. I think I heard that goon say, like, really? I don't get it. Like, if we're going to go back to generational, like I said, we had the old Steinlager. We went pretty good with that on the on the right tit. And how about we put back to the old Tour of South and Cycling days and put Rothmans across the collar? Like, all this PC stuff. No one's playing sport anymore. Like, I got online yesterday, some of these. Have a look at a price to go and watch Japan play. Is it Costa Rica at Forsyth Bar? The ticket said they were ranged from 300 to 200 to 100. So I thought, I'll get two of the $100 ones. God knows where I'll be sitting to watch that. And when you got to pay for them, they jumped up to 167 each. Like, really? How many people are coming to this? Yeah, I just did it this morning. I was going to buy two. Thought I'd better go back to work. I ain't got time to talk to you. If I've got to pay that much for a football seat, bloody hell. Oh, mate, absolutely. I feel for you. And, and uh, this won't be the only story, Dino. Um, and I'm with, you on, I'm with you on the jersey. I totally agree with you, mate. Thanks for your call uh, this morning. Uh, look, uh, if the prices are like that, I, I, my understanding was they were going to price the tickets down as low as 10 or $20 uh, to make sure that families and uh, young people could get involved in this FIFA World Cup. I'd be amazed if uh, the, the, the cheapest ticket you could get to a women's football match in this country was $167. I'd be staggered, Dino. All right, uh, let's head to John. G'day, John. John from Auckland. As, as always, great to hear from you, man. Yeah, cheers, cheers, mate. Um, my understanding is some of the tickets are 30 to $40 in Auckland. I'm not too yeah. sure how much they are around the country, so might be just differing stadiums. I'm not too sure, but you're totally right. It shouldn't be 180 bucks to go see a football match, mate. Definitely. No, it shouldn't be, John. You know, it should not at all. Yeah, but quickly, yeah, I'm totally with you, mate, Smithy. Um, you know, it's it's black again, voila. But um, all these bloody high technical designings and whatnot, you know, um, you would know more than anyone. You you got to earn that jersey before you wear it, and it doesn't matter if it's got 25 silver ferns on it, but it's black, and it not only represents uh, um, our country, but it represents who we come from in terms of, like you said. Uh, farmers, uh, indigenous people, people from all over the world that encompass our great country. But, you know, there shouldn't be a big hoorah about a bloody jersey, mate. You just get it on, you get should, on the field and yeah. you win a footy game. 
Absolutely. I, look, if, uh, I, I don't care what it looks like, mate, uh, in terms of um, uh, when I look at it from what are we doing through my television screen, it'll appear black. The little idiosyncrasies, the little symbols on it won't be visible to me. Um, I, I'm sorry. So I can only ever, uh, really think that, OK, it's a one-off for this World Cup, but it's uh, become a very much a collector's item. Someone's just come through and said 209 bucks. 209 bucks already. Um, uh, Oh, and that isn't the World Cup jersey, said Steve. So anyway, uh, John, did you watch any of the, any of the cricket, man? Yeah, I did, man. I enjoyed it. I really did. Um, those protests are getting a bit annoying, mate. But you know, it's the way of the world these days. But I, I really enjoyed how Australia controlled that game, and I knew they were going to control that game. And you talked about it. I mean, where was England's spinner when they needed them? Yeah, there was a green top there. But you've been to Lords before, and spinners play a mm. massive role at Lords, especially on that slope there. Absolutely and, um, right, just, John. Good, yeah. Could, good observation. I just can't fathom. I just can't fathom why England wouldn't do that, and I really think that they're in trouble here, mate. Well, they're in trouble already, John. Uh, thanks very much for your call because they're one 0 down in the series, and they have to beat uh, Australia in the series. Uh, they can't afford to lose this one. They'd have to win the last three in a row. They won't do that. I promise you, they will not do that. Uh, Kevin, g'day, Kev. How are you? What were your thoughts on day one? Yeah, morning, morning, Smithy. How are you, buddy? Um, yeah, yeah I just wanted, you. you know, yeah, they won the toss and they they, they chose to field and okay, green top, a bit of a cloudy day, but you've got to back yourself in the first hour and two hours, and, and it's backfired badly. And I think your imaginary five hundred is going to, it's looking pretty good. Um, you've got an opening bowler like Anderson. He, he's bowled fifteen overs, and, he, and he's, he's, he, his economy is very good at one point nine three, but he's got no wickets again. And you need your opening ball to be getting wickets. Um, and I think the worrying thing too is that they've given away the um, they've given away the batting. They've got to face Lyon on the last day now. You know, the last day and a half, and that's not going to be good. That is not going to be a good read, Smithy. Well, look, I I, I totally agree. I mean, uh, you know, they they're going to be already. You can see it unless they get uh, five for not many, and I say five for forty or fifty. Um, you know, which is possible. They've got a brand new ball. They've got fresh legs, supposedly, going into a second day, Kevin. There's a chance that they could knock uh, Australia over for um, under 400. If they do that, that is a morale-boosting uh, morning at, at the office. But if they don't, and Steve Smith will be very, very hard to dislodge, if they do not do that, uh, they're looking at 500. And uh, to score enough runs to bowl England, uh, Australia out again and then get them yourself will be nigh on a possible. I also understand uh, there's a bit of wet weather around Kevin as well, so not a lot in England's favour at the moment, mate. Yeah, the other thing too, Smithy, they've scored 339 runs and only 83 overs, and you've got a guy like Travis Head, he got stumped, but he batted well. He scored 77 runs off 73 balls and scored 14 fours. Mm. That, that, is, that, is, that is good batting, but it's not also not good bowling. Not good bowling at all. Not I, I just could not work out the, the the field placings. I couldn't work out why they continually pounded him uh, with short deliveries. Um, he comes from Australia. He plays it uh, as a lot of his cricket at the Adelaide Oval. They are traditionally yeah. very good players of square of the wicket shots because that's where the boundaries are short. They grow. They they really um, they grow up learning how to play short pitch bowling in Australia. I don't mind it as an element of surprise, as Simon Hughes said every now and then. Uh, get them to drive down the ground off a moving ball. Try that. Um, and 14 fours, if you analyse the 14 fours, you know pretty much where they came from, Kevin. 
Yes, only 77 runs and 14, 14 balls is not a good look for a bowler. It is not a good look. And the other no. thing too, the, um, as we spoke about yesterday, Smithy, the one, two, three batsmen for England, I think they're going to be in a bit of trouble there because Stark and, and you've got Hazelwood and you've got Cummings. My God, there's three for a start, let alone Lyon. I, it's not a good read. It just does not read well for them to um, win this Test Series. And I think Australia's hot favourites now. That's my opinion. Yeah, Kev, uh, thanks very much. I think your analysis is spot on, as uh, it pretty much always is. And, uh, you know, they've got Cameron Green, big, lanky seam bowler. Hasn't quite got the ground running with the bat yet and got out very softly last night, I noticed. But Cameron Green will be a factor in this, and uh, that's one of the reasons they've got him in there at number six. Cliff from uh, Dunedin. G'day, Cliff. Yeah, morning, Smitty. You've had some good uh, good callers on this morning. Uh, yeah, no, like I taught you yesterday, all these seamers, you know, Ben Stokes and the team is a bit of a luxury player now. I know he's a captain, but he's only going to bowl three overs and go for quite a few, bowl a lot of no balls, just look decidedly average. He, you're just carrying him. If he's not going to bat, he needs to make a lot of runs. <laughs> A lot of runs in this game to uh, to do something in it, and uh, I just don't see it happening. Uh, Robinson looked looked awful in Anderson. Broad Broad and the new fella Tongue had a bit of life. They you know Tongue was was decidedly quicker than the others, uh, but uh, yeah, if they lose this game, they they have to get rid of uh, Anderson and Robinson out of this team and play a spinner. Bring in bring in Wood, more pace. But uh, at the moment, I just don't see Australia letting them in. They're not going to go out there and be silly and play crazy shots and um, and let them back in. They can bat to 500 or thereabouts. Game's pretty much won. I don't like the guy said before. Top three are going to be under a lot of pressure. Uh, Joe Root's going to have to go out there and make 100. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, Baz is looking. Uh, I just see a bit of a picture on him, the tally at the moment. Uh, it's sort of coming unstuck. You can't you can't go out there and tack as a batting unit if your bowlers don't don't do the business at the start for you. Well, you're right. You're dead right about. Uh, I think Hazelwood's due to come good. I mean, he hasn't played a lot of Test cricket, but Josh Hazelwood is a terrific line and length bowler. And uh, on this particular surface, I saw enough variable bounce there. Gee, the number of deliveries that bounced twice before they got to Johnny Bester, who I thought kept pretty well yesterday. To be perfectly honest, it wasn't that easy. Uh, I think he did a pretty good job after all the slating he copped in the first Test match. Uh, but he was better. Uh, but the work that he had to do, tidying up low deliveries, uh, even in the second over, I think, uh, the first one that Broad was bowling, ball went basically along the ground. That is a concerning thing when the opposition have 335 for 330-whatever on the board for five wickets uh, because, it, generally speaking, the bounce gets even more variable as the game goes on. So a lot of things for Brendan McCullum to be worried about. I totally agree with you, Cliff, and I, I saw a few frowns there last night. Um, I, I know they're there to have fun and keep positive and whatever, uh, but there is a demand on this side and this series more so than there has any other series. While I've been playing this brilliant brand of cricket, uh, this Australian side were always going to test that to the absolute limit, and boy, are they doing that at the moment. It is 9.45. Thank you so much for all your calls. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
Right, uh, if you took note of yesterday's one, we're in with a pretty good chance, actually, I feel, um, because it's a long-term one. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians uh, did beat the Kansas City Royals 2-1. Very close game, but they triumphed there. And Louis tipped this into a horse, remember, uh, to bulk up the, the dividend there. Sandown race 2, Time Quest. Well, it duly won. Um, we got that at 3 bucks. So now we're just waiting for Australia to beat England in this Test match. And that's at $2.04. And, and the way things are shaping up at the moment... Uh, you wouldn't want to throw that ticket away if you took one. So there you go, ten dollars twenty-eight in the offing today or tonight. In fact, Cronulla uh, Sharks to play uh, St George. Um, I've gone for the unders in terms of total points. I, I think the Cronulla Sharks will win quite comfortably, but I think it'll be under forty-four point five points. There you go, at a dollar eighty-three. Uh, the Houston Astros this afternoon to beat the uh, St Louis Cardinals. Uh, that'll be at a dollar ninety-two. Um, and uh, there's the game of Sal's NBL basketball to look at as well. Uh, Tuatara, who are uh, at the moment flying high, playing a really good brand of basketball. Uh, I think they'll beat the Ears, the Taranaki Ears, and uh, I'll take the handicap too, which is 10.5 points. So Tuatara minus 10.5 points at $1.85 with the Astros, with the Cronulla Sharks and St George only measuring up to under 44.5 points tonight in the first of uh, round 18 action in the NRL. That comes to $6.50. Um, there's a chance you might be able to be a part of that. Uh, let's hope so. Uh, paid 40 bucks for a ticket for USA versus Holland in Wellington. I'd take that. The best football team in the world is the USA women's team. Uh, they've named their squad and uh, they've had a couple of uh, defections through injuries. But they are mighty powerful side. And the Dutch always play uh, good football, men or women. So a $40 ticket to watch the USA play Holland. Dino, you've got to check those prices, buddy. You've got to check those prices. Uh, 167 bucks, the cheapest ticket? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think um, someone's uh, taking the muck out of you there, down there. Dino, take a look at them. And uh, I'll bet you can get them for a lot cheaper than that at Forsyth Bar Stadium. Coming up to 9.54. Right, Craig has come in and said, Smithy, I had a $50 bonus bet thanks to Drive uh, to Survive, which uh, I used uh, yesterday on your multi. I've uh, been burnt with a horse racing, so I didn't take Time Quest for the win, just a place. Don't tell Louis, just did. I didn't trust him. Uh, still, I'll be, uh, it'll be a good payout if Australia win the test. Uh, cheers, Craig. Uh, I think you're on track. I think you are on track there. Richard uh, says, hey, Smithy, how good was it last night? The 20-year drought ended with free-to-air test cricket back again which hasn't happened since March 2003, which was the Black Caps versus South Africa. Also, I can't recall the last time we had a test which wasn't a Black Caps test on free-to-air either. Well, interesting observation. Um, here's uh, from Shane in Christchurch, Dino. Uh, I paid $40 and a $20, uh, that's $40 for an adult, and $20 for a child to watch Portugal play Sweden and Dunedin for seats halfway up the main stand just on halfway. A tickets. Not sure where Dean is buying his tickets from, Shane. Um, yeah, Dino, you might be going to a, one of those uh, rip-off websites, I'm afraid, mate. Just just check into that before you push the button and say, go, go, go. Uh, Chris says, no problem with the all-black jersey smithy, and maybe because Japan football tickets will be in demand uh, because they will have lots of fans travelling to support them, I think. Well, it's an interesting observation, Chris, but I would have thought, regardless, they've still got to set a market uh, that is achievable in $167 a ticket. They ain't going to get the job done, I promise you. It, uh, it's coming up to 10 o'clock. We're going to talk uh, women's football on the subject of ticket prices, but we won't be talking ticket prices. We'll be talking about commentary. Uh, one of our commentators um, will announce who they are very shortly. 
uh, and the prospects for the football ferns and the favourites in this tournament soon. Well, women's sport is uh, be uh, hot on the agenda very shortly. Of course, there's uh, a rugby test match tonight, but uh, we are exactly three weeks, yes, just three weeks out from uh, the FIFA Women's World Cup kicking off at Eden Park. You'll be able to listen to that match between the Football Ferns and Norway here on SENZ as well as every other game throughout the tournament. I'm pleased to announce this morning that our SENZ commentary team will comprise uh, former and current players, including... 2015 World Cup squad member Anna Green, current Wellington Phoenix captain Lily Oldfield, and rounding up the line-up is, uh, line is uh, Wendy Henderson, who uh, represented New Zealand at two World Cups and is on the line with us right now to preview, uh, preview this year's edition of FIFA's showpiece. Uh, Wendy played 64 times, 64 times for the football ferns. Um, and I guess, uh, Wendy... This will be special to you. It'll bring back a few memories of uh, days gone by when you, when you were involved and uh, being able to commentate on the current crop. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think any World Cup is pretty special, but, um, you know, having it, uh, you know, hosted by New Zealand and Australia is going to be uh, just that little bit more special for, for a lot of people. Right, uh, Wendy, uh, you've played in them. Um, obviously, women's football has been gaining momentum uh, all the time. This is going to be huge, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I think, you know, certainly as a player, um, you possibly don't appreciate kind of everything that goes on behind the scenes with the World Cup. Um, but I think having been involved in 2019 as, um, you know, as part of some of the staff that went away to France, uh, you certainly have an insight into what goes on from a coaching, you know, point of view, um, but also just the enormity of, of how big these World Cups have got now for, for the women's game. And, you know, it, it really is big, and I'm, I'm not sure if we really do realise how big uh, this is going to be for our country. I think we'll buy into it. I'm really confident, you know, um, we've been having a discussion about ticket prices this morning. By and large, I think they're very affordable. And, and just like uh, I think the Rugby World Cup for women, I, I think... Um, I think we'll get a massive local following. I'm hopeful of it anyway. Oh, definitely. I think once, you know, it hits town and um, people realise the, the height of it and, and just how big it is and, and really get into the swing of things, like you say, a bit like the, the Women's Rugby World Cup, um, it'll be in, you know, full swing action. Uh, and like you say, it's really accessible to get to games, you know. So uh, they haven't made it expensive. It's pretty cheap for, for anyone to get along. Um, you just need to be organised and get on the FIFA app and, and buy your tickets. So, uh, yeah, just really exciting times ahead. Right, Wendy, uh, the first game uh, you'll be involved with, of course, in, involving New Zealand against Norway. Uh, Norway ranked uh, 12 in the, in the world at the moment. We're currently uh, around about 26th. We've also got the Philippines at 46 and Switzerland around about 20th in our group as well. So this is a pool where we might be able to achieve something, I feel, anyway. What about you? Yeah, look, I, you know, I know how the football ferns will be thinking and, and feeling at this point in time that they've, they've got a good opportunity. Um, you know, certainly at a World Cup level, it's it's tough competition. Um, often rankings don't mean a lot. You know, it's it's games and it's moments within games that can really change um, what's happening out there on the field. Um, but you're right, they've, they've got a really good pool. They've got a really great opportunity. They've, they've got the crowd behind them. Um, and I know that they're just itching to get out there and, and you know, be a part of this. So, um, oh, yeah, I just think it's a fantastic opportunity for them. 
They, the only thing they really probably haven't got Wendy going into it is confidence from previous performance, and that is because uh, in the lead-up, they just simply have not been able to put it together. Um, we're, we're battling to score goals. So when you analyse the team now, are you confident that we can get through that and actually find the back of the net? Yeah, look, it's always tough in a, in a lead-up to a World Cup. Um, you want to play tough competition, and that, that often makes it hard because you are coming up against really good, you know, opposition. Um, and you're trying things. So, you know, that whole entire build-up and lead-up, um, you know, yet Kieran and the team have, have obviously been trying things. They've been trying players. It's an opportunity for players to shine um, and stamp their mark and put their hand up to be selected. So... You know, that, that's testing times within the camp, let alone, you know, what we see as spectators outside the camp. So um, it's pretty tough, um, and it is tough going, but, you know, I, you know, some of those results you can take either way. Um, it's hard because as spectators, we want, you know, our teams to be winning all the time. Uh, but this is a world game, and so we've got to kind of understand our own expectations of the team um, on the world stage. Um but you're right, they've, you know, they haven't managed to put the ball in the back of the net. Um, and I guess as a former striker, you know, you get frustrated yourself at, at that. Um, but let's hope, you know, the players that have now come into camp will make a difference and kind of lift the team from where it has been to, to where they need to get. Um, and they'll be fully focused. You know, they know that they've got a job to do. They know the pressure that's on them. Um, and they'll be focused to, to get there and, and do the country proud. So, Wendy, as a striker, you, you look particularly at that area of the field, and as you say, we've had very little to show for it on the score sheet uh, so far. So what have been the issues in terms of our finishing? Have we, we just, uh, our opportunities uh, just have not been there, or we, we need to be a bit more accurate, a bit more patient? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. At times, we need to be a little more clinical. Um, we need to, you know, really, um, you know, up our confidence in and around the box, and and, um, you know, I used to call it kind of messy shooting where you're not even thinking, you know where the goal is and you're not thinking about things. You're just making the most of any opportunity and especially at that level, um, you, you sometimes don't get many. You know, you may get one or two, possibly three opportunities within a game and you've really got to make the most of it. So, um, but also, yeah, looking, you know, how are we building up? You know, what sort of delivery are we providing the strikers or, or you know, the, the attacking uh, or anything in the attacking third and, um, you know, how's that playing out. So, But I think the biggest thing for me is just building confidence in and around the box and not being afraid to have a go. So do you expect uh, we will be playing a, a cautious brand of football or will we just, uh, I won't say throw caution to the wind as such, but you think we might be able to play an expansive brand? Look, I think we need to be mindful of the level of opposition that we are playing. And first and foremost, you, you need to ensure that you defend well um, because without that, you, you're going to be on the back foot. Um, but I'd like, to, I'd like to think that as soon as we get into that attacking third, it's, it's almost freedom for, for you know, the attacking midfielders, the strikers, where they can kind of create things, use their flair, use their own personal technical abilities and have a go you know not be afraid to um, take on defenders to, to, to yeah have a have a go in and around the box and, and make something happen so that's what I'm hoping that we're, we'll see. Wendy uh, unlike uh, with our uh, women's rugby players and uh, so many of our athletes who play a lot of their sport at home so many of our squad members play all their football overseas therefore 
We don't really know too many of them, um, to be honest. None of them are, or not too many of them are household names as such. Who are the players are you expecting with their experience and with the, the standard they play over the seas? Who are the players perhaps we should be looking at to lead us from, uh, from up front? Yeah, look, I mean, you've got, um, you've got players that have been playing locally um, that, you know, even from within the Phoenix um, camps. Um, but, you know, having players like Rhea Percival come back in, um, you know, adds so much to a team um, in and around that midfield and it's certainly going forward. Uh, Annalie Longo, um, again, another local player um, who, you know, has been around since she was 15 at these World Cups, so brings a wealth of experience. Uh, Rebecca Stock comes back into the squad. Um, and, you know, I, I think you, you definitely need some stability. You need that stability going forward. Hannah Wilkinson, you know, she's certainly not shy to, to World Cups and, and playing at this level. Um, but again, for me, all of these players, oh, I just hope that they have the freedom to, to be themselves and, and be able to, you know, do what they do well out on the field and, and not be too restricted. A lot of experience around this World Cup. Uh, I read a story yesterday where Marta uh, from Brazil at the age of 37 is about to play in her sixth, her sixth edition of the World Cup. She's been yeah. player of the year six times. Uh, but 11 out of the 23 have never played a World Cup from Brazil. So uh, I'm not quite sure whether they're going to be a, a real power base in this World Cup. But it just shows you um, the depth, doesn't it? 37, six World Cups for Marta. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I certainly uh, had the opportunity and privilege to, to play against her in 2007. And, you know, she's a fantastic player. Um, and I'm really excited that players like that will be on the world stage here in, you know, New Zealand and Australia and, and be able to sort of show what, you know, what such good players they are and the quality and the level that they play to. So, um, you know, it is really exciting times. And I know she'll be adding huge amounts of experience to you know like you say um, potentially an understrength team or an inexperienced team from Brazil So what do we know about Norway our first up opponents Wendy uh, I mean you know of the of the pool uh, at this stage anyway the highest rank you say rankings you can throw them out the window at certain stages of World Cups but they are 12th which is uh, they're well performed what kind of football team is Norway? Yeah they are a class act um, we, I mean, I, I certainly played them in 1991, um, and they were they were a great team back then. Um, 2007, you know, again uh, another class act. Um, we played them as part of a, the build up to the 2019 World Cup, um, and we actually beat them one nil in one of the training games leading into the World Cup. Um, but yeah, you, you definitely can't take a team like that lightly. Um, they're very technically um, and tactically well set up. Um, they got, they've got some great individual players, um, and you definitely can't take them lightly. They're not coming here to, to you know, um, bow down to a New Zealand home side. They'll, they'll be here to, to prove a point and kick on, um, because a lot, like a lot of the other teams, you know, they're, they're here to win it. What have Australia? What chance Australia got of uh, advancing? They've got one of the most high-profile uh, footballers in the world, and Sam Kerr at the moment. Um, I, I, I just wonder with the pressure of hosting. Or oh, in the luxury of hosting, how how far do you think Australia might advance? Yeah, look, oh, I think they've got a fantastic opportunity. You know, they're, they're the sort of team that never never give up. They never say die. Um, they have got a lot of experience. You know, I've been sort of keeping quite a close eye on on what they've been doing and their build up. 
Um, they've got a big game coming up against France at home, and I think that'll be a really good test for them at home in front of a large crowd um, prior to the World Cup and, and, and possibly an opportunity to kind of iron out any nervousness or um, you know that kind of off-the-field stuff that you often take on to the field. Um, so really good opportunity for them to play such quality you know, competition prior to the World Cup. But, you know, personally, I, I think they've got a good opportunity here. You know, they're a team that actually um, stand out and stand up when they're playing um, at home. And um, I think if the crowd, which it sounds like, you know, they're going to have big crowds over there, get behind them, um, it's only going to add to the, the quality of the side. Right, uh, USA, of course, uh, perennial favourites for this, um, and I, I just wonder, um, they have still got uh, a lot of experience um, with Rapinoe, with Morgan, etc. They've lost a couple of key players, but are they uh, your favourites, or if not, who, who else are likely contenders? Oh, again, like you say, the, the, the US, you know, they've won it um, a number of times now, team you can never underestimate they've got some really good young stars coming through Sophia Smith um, has been a standout for them um, you know so they're again they're going to come over here they're going to have quality on the field and um, I think it's just going to set the standard for, for where this World Cup's going and you know they're always an exciting team to kind of watch because you never quite know um, where they're at but boy when they turn it on they're a fantastic side and, and an exciting um, team to watch. Who's the biggest threat to them, do you feel? Oh, that's a, it's a great question. Um, look, I, I think, you know, if you're thinking about the, the top six, you've got uh, Canada that have come off the back of gold medalists at the Olympics. Um, they're going to be right in there. You've got teams like Germany, France, um, you know, that are going to be no easy beats either. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, yeah, I, I don't think I can pick this one. It's, you know, the game is, it just keeps growing in leaps and bounds. And it's really difficult to sort of really land on, you know, who will actually take this one away. And I think that's what actually makes it really exciting. Um, I mean, you're always going to have your favourites. But like I say, sport's a funny game. And, um, you know, it can often be moments within a game that really change things up. So... I think there's going to be a number of teams that uh, have the potential to kick on and win this. Going to be fantastic. Uh, I'm envious that you're going to be uh, so close to all the action and uh, ability after having played in it yourself, uh, uh, the opportunity to call them as well. Wendy, have uh, a terrific uh, duration of the tournament, I, I guess, uh, and hopefully we will be able to catch up with you uh, after the event gets underway and maybe even talk about a, uh, a pool victory for New Zealand, which would be ultra special, and uh, I know that you'll be... Uh, right there with them because you've uh, been there as you say and done that before so hey um, ha enjoy it congratulations on making the commentary team and, and have a wow of a time thanks for your time this morning <laughs> no worries thanks Ian cheers uh, Wendy Henderson there folks uh, former football fern 64 caps uh, Wendy achieved uh, playing for us a lot of experience uh, throughout World Cups as well uh, played uh, in a number of them throughout a long period of time so knows exactly exactly uh, what to get, uh, Brian? Here's an interesting one that um, people might um, people might just think they've you know they're walking down the Eden Park because the United States play two games at Eden Park, right? And they play one in Wellington, Brian. And people might be walking down the streets thinking, God, I know that guy. Who is that guy? That way out guy with all that flashy gear on and all those studs in his ears and his nose and whatever. And, oh, is he a dude? 
big tall guy walking in. I know that guy. Could be Dennis Rodman. Could be Dennis Rodman. Because Trinity Rodman is uh, part of the strike force for the US women's football team. So keep an eye out for Dennis. Yeah, imagine that. How cool would that be if he did actually follow his daughter over to watch her? That would be something special. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if that was the case. I mean, if he goes to way out places like North Korea, why can't he go to uh, Eden Park? It's a 10.20 here on SENZ. about ticket prices uh, now there's uh, tickets that uh, are well worth value for money uh, going to watch the Eagles that is some sort of concert uh, even though uh, some of them are no longer with us and uh, some of them are getting a bit old and doddery uh, still worth the ticket price uh, to go and watch the Eagles uh, Charlie says look I got two tickets for Dunedin uh, All Blacks game behind the goal for 120 bucks each so uh, it's unlikely. Uh, Dino, this, this has come from you, mate. Um, I, I think we should be checking that out. And I hope you haven't paid for them yet. Uh, I certainly do. Um, I think England will be uh, really disappointed, said Chris, with the bowling effort. But uh, like they say, on every day of Test Match, the first hour is really important for England tomorrow. Is it what? Is it what, Chris? They have uh, pretty much a brand new cricket ball. Uh, the bowlers should have had a decent old rest, the massage, etc., and they will be knowing that if uh, England uh, don't bowl them out before lunch, if Australia are batting after lunch, uh, they're going to be staring down the barrel of 400-plus, uh, even more. And uh, that'll take some time. And if they're going to try and go for that at uh, four, five, six runs and over, they're going to take risk because Australia will bowl better on that pitch than England have so far. And it was interesting to hear... Uh, the comments coming through from uh, Ian Healy yesterday when he was uh, talking, quoting Michael Gadding, saying it's just as hard, if not harder, for England to play at Lords um, because it is viewed as the most special place by visiting teams to play cricket. It's the home of cricket. And it, it's one of those uh, grounds you go to and you think, I've got to try and do well here. I want to excel here. I want to get on the honours board or I just want to put in a really good performance and beat England at the home of cricket. And that's why they say it's as just as hard a place for uh, England to play as it is for the opposition. Well, they made it look pretty hard uh, last night. Uh, I think that's uh, fair. And uh, just finally on uh, the jersey, maybe, Chris has said the worst thing about the new jersey is it's designed by a bloody Frenchman. Uh, the village of the damned. Uh, I don't like that omen either. A Frenchman designing our shirt. Who we got first up? France. Who are the favourites? France. 10.36. Turn up the volume. We're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Yes, indeed. Let's find out and let's uh, get to uh, our guest this morning on the bulletin. And that is uh, Alex Chapman, of course, uh, well-known in media circles. And uh, Chappie, uh, first of all, uh, what do you make of the jersey? Are you impressed? Uh, Is it a bit of a fizzer for you? How do you see it? I love how wound up people get by jerseys. 
like, yeah, it's not an All Blacks jersey by the the um, traditional sense, but the fact that people are like, oh no, because we've got this jersey, it's going to be 2007 all over again. Yeah, like, if you're that set in your mindset about how clothing affects performance, then you probably shouldn't watch sport, to be honest. It's interesting, isn't it, uh, the depth I've gone to. Um, it used to be pretty basic thing. Let's uh, get some material, um, fairly strong material, uh, make it black, uh, put some white numbers on the back of it, and let's go. <laughs> with maybe, with a, maybe with a sponsorship logo on the front. <clears throat> but all this designing, it's been in the pipeline for ages. We've gone to France to get it done. It, I mean, to understand it, you have to read a book about it. Uh, I actually want the All Blacks to do what the Warriors were doing for a while, where they have like a new jersey every two or three weeks, just purely for my sick um, fascination with the public outrage that there would be over the jerseys. If they just change the jersey like every series, I, I just lie back and, and sit and laugh. I think because you know, like, at, at, the, at the end of the day, it's a jersey, right? Like it, it's it's how you perform. In that jersey, and if the jersey gives you any sort of performance advantage in terms of like blood flow or muscle cramping or anything like that, then you utilize that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting that they've gone to a French designer to design the All Blacks jersey when there's a chance that France are the ones who bundle the All Blacks out of the World Cup, isn't it? It's a bit ironic. But <laughs> hey, the, the, the World Cup's been played in France, so it probably makes sense in that way. If that's the case, they'll probably sell pretty much better in France than they do here. Um, yeah, well, let's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Ch- Chappie, let's, let's look at press conferences, uh, press conferences and who yes. should be there. Uh, quite a bit made of uh, Sam Kane not fronting up the other night in Hamilton. Ian Foster, his uh, all-black coach, uh, actually saying, look, it was a, a breakdown in communication more than anything else. He was quite willing and able to go. Uh, it just didn't work out that way. How, how did you see it from a journalistic point of view? From a journalistic point of view, I found it fascinating the, the public outrage that there's been towards the media for pain, painting Sam Kane in a bad light. The reason that this came to air, the, the reason that this was put in the public domain was because Clayton McMillan, and, and I have to be careful the, the way I word this because I wasn't there and I've heard all of this secondhand, but what I have heard firsthand is Clayton McMillan walking into his press conference and saying, just me today, guys, uh, I think it was... There's, there's a lot of public, uh, there's a lot of hurt in that changing room right now. And so as a result of that, Sam Kane did it front, Brad Weber did it front. We've since heard from both Ian Foster and Sam Kane that it was in fact Clayton McMillan's decision to go into the press conference by himself, a decision which Sam Kane says he wasn't consulted on. He, he only found out about it after Clayton McMillan then had already fronted press. So we had a little bit of miscommunication for and I don't know who, who that's on, if that's on Clayton McMillan, if that's on Sam Kane, if that's on their media manager, the fact that they allowed Clayton McMillan to walk in without Sam Kane, whether Clayton McMillan even told the media manager he was going to walk in without Sam Kane, who, who knows? But it's been, yeah, it's so very interesting to see the, the public backlash at journalists for painting Sam Kane in a bad light. Sam Kane has every reason to be annoyed, I think, because of how he has been painted, but that's not on the media. That's, if he has an issue with it, he should be taking that up with Clayton McMillan, because Clayton McMillan's the one who walked in and said that Sam Kane wouldn't be turning up, and by all accounts, Sam Kane was then standing there waiting to find out when he would be fronting press, so uh, to, to answer your, your question, Smitty, the coach and captain should always front, as far as I'm concerned. The, the only 
um, exception to that is what I like with Brendan McCullum, where he says if England win, he doesn't tend to front. Uh, and, and if England lose, he will front. And he lets the players make it about themselves, which is probably a healthier way rather than the coach saying, no, I'm, I'm going to protect you all. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think there's an expectation there. Although, having said that, um, what you sometimes get out of uh, winning or losing captains is you could probably rewrite, uh, pre-write before they even walk in there, uh, Alex, uh, in all honesty. Yeah. Um, Baz uh, will be an interesting one because at this stage, it's not looking like his uh, press conference after Lord's early days, early days. Uh, he might be 2-0 two, two down, though, and he might not like the press conference coming up because the British press don't mind uh, making a scapegoat of someone. And all of a sudden, Baz Ball, uh, which he did not like the term anyway, Baz, um, is starting to become a bit of an ugly word. I think, oh, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that was the worst day of Bazball that England were woeful, weren't they? When that drone shot went over Lords and I saw the, the overheads and how green the pitch was and then Stokes won the toss and said, we'll have a bowl, I, I genuinely clenched my fist with excitement. Very few things to me excite me more in sport than skillful swing bowling in favourable conditions. And that's why James Anderson has been so successful and why he is such a master, but... Australia blew them off the park and, and back into the long run, to be honest. England, yeah, they had those little moments of brilliance. The two wickets that uh, Josh Tung got were, were absolute seeds. That one to get David Warner in particular and, and Robinson's delivery to get Manus. But there, there just weren't enough of those deliveries on middle stump, off stump, fourth stump that were probing, that were making the Aussies play. And to be honest, England just really... They, they lacked discipline. They dropped catches. They bowled no balls. And there just seemed to be a real lack of intensity at times. The, the players in that dressing room have talked about how relaxed and fun and everything is as well. And they're, they're walking around with smiles on their faces, but they seemed a bit too relaxed. They seemed a bit too nice every time the foot hovered over the throat. So they lifted it and they allowed Australia to breathe again. And the most commanding period for England, to be honest, was when Johnny Biesto picked up that protester and tossed him like a mannequin in a clothes store. That, that was the only time that England really had assertion on day one. I, I re-watched re the, the Ben Stokes documentary the other day, which is really good if people haven't seen it. And the likes of Roots and Broad are talking about how Ben Stokes is the most hardworking and competitive person that they've ever played with. And... Why isn't everyone else playing like that? Like, this is professional cricket. This is the ashes. This is the pinnacle for Australian and English cricketers. And, and what were very advantageous conditions for England, they, they were underwhelming. They've still got match winners, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not writing them off. But, man, I hope this doesn't get ugly because all of a sudden, I think I said to you, England 2-1, all of a sudden this could turn into Australia 5-0. Oh, we're starting to all sound like Glenn McGrath, aren't we? Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, my Godfather, so I'd hate to, I would hate to be Baz. I don't care how much you're getting paid, but if they lost at five, no, I would hate to be Baz. Right, uh, let's look at yeah. um, an expected victory tonight, uh, shall we? And it might well be comfortable, it might not. It's the Black Ferns back in action in the pack four for the Laurie O'Reilly Cup against Australia in particular. Uh, under Alan Bunting. What are we expecting here, Chappie? I, I mentioned in a story the other day that this is the dawn of a new era into women's rugby, and I think it is because we had that excitement, that furore, that, that new peak of interest in the women's game with the World Cup, and there's no arguing about that. That, that, was, that was a new peak. 
um, in, in women's rugby in New Zealand. Now it's about them continuing to, to ride that wave of public interest, to keep those fans engaged. And there's a lot of pressure on this team. Like speaking to Ruhe Zamanta and Alan Bunting the other day, they're going to continue to play the way that they did during the World Cup. And that's great because that's what drew in those new fans. It's that open style of play. It's running rugby. It's high pace. It's high intensity. But it's also now about delivering those consistent results. They have to keep on winning because, man, we love jumping on a bandwagon in this country. Eh? And as soon as that bandwagon starts to get a little bit rocky, a little bit bumpy, then most people who have jumped on will jump off. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the style of play that they played and hearing from the likes of, of Rua Hazemant and Kennedy Simons and those new players that, that are coming in. Um, yeah, Alan Bunting is just instilling them with, with confidence, similar to, to what Brendan McCallum did with England. Uh, but now it's a matter of them going out on the field. And yeah, you're right, they, they should absolutely roll over Australia. But the last couple of times that New Zealand has played Australia, Australia start, started really, really well. Um, and New Zealand's clawed their way back into it. So yeah, they, they need to just continue winning, to be honest. Here's something just uh, a bit weird to finish. And I knew nothing about this, but uh, I believe it's true. Elon Tesla Musk versus Mark Meta Zuckerberg, rumoured for UFC 300. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm not sure this will ever come about, but uh, if it did, would you tune in? I mean, how long would it last and what would it look like? I wouldn't pay for it, but I'd watch it. And, and hey, if they do, good on them if they have a crack. And to be honest, with all of the celebrity fights that we have nowadays, this is probably the most intriguing one. Like, I'd much rather watch those two go at it than a... a bunch of or a couple of youtubers that i've never heard of and yeah that probably makes me sound like angry man yelling at clouds but i mean that, that's what the ufc does well isn't it that's that's why dana white's had so much success as as a promoter and as a businessman is because he seizes those or sees and seizes those opportunities where he can capitalize on, on money and and of public interest as well like People want to see two, with all due respect to them, two nerds go at it in the cage. Like, that will draw in people. As someone that doesn't watch a massive amount of UFC, that would draw me in <laughs> rather than a low-key, a low, a low, key, low tier <laughs> UFC fight, to be honest. So, you know, based purely on what I've just said, then, yeah, Dana White's doing his job. It would work. It would draw people in. Would I get super pissed about it? No. Would I look at the TAV odds and have a punt? Yes. Would I watch it? Yes. So... Yeah, bring it on. Why not? He's a genius, that uh, uh, Dana White, I can tell you. He gets anyone to fight for him and he gets the money for it. Hey, Chappie, uh, thanks very much for your observations this morning. Have a terrific day. Enjoy the cricket tonight. Easy. Anytime, please. Yeah, cheers, uh, Alex Chapman there, who was uh, our man on the bulletin this morning. Radio uh, Pip are not available to us uh, this morning, but um, there are plenty of uh, odds floating around. I was really interested to look at the Wimbledon odds, actually. Dollar sixty-two for Djokovic to win the men's title, as or the gentlemen's uh, title, as they call it over there. Alcaraz at four thirty-three, a lot closer in the women's with Triantec at four dollars fifty, Rybakina at five bucks, and Sabalenka at uh, five dollars fifty. Uh, of course, we've got uh, tonight uh, the uh, the dragons are hot. Uh, sorry, the uh, uh, cold. They're absolutely cold. Six sixty outsiders. The sharks. At a dollar eleven, uh, the Cronulla side to win both halves at a dollar fifty. That doesn't seem a bad sort of a multi, does it? 
so there's all sorts of uh, those things coming into play. Um, we've also <coughs> got uh, the cricket. Uh, the cricket now is uh, starting to shape up a, a little bit more in favour of uh, Australia, isn't it, uh, to be honest? And why wouldn't it be? Because uh, they've had such a very good first day. And uh, now they're saying Australia to win this test match at $1.51, uh, England $5.20, and the draw $4.30. $4.30 for the draw. And my friends uh, in the UK tell me there's a bit of rain floating around, but the game has advanced. Australia are advanced at uh, their cause uh, quite markedly, haven't they? So uh, the draw is an outside possibility. Uh, we're going to be talking women's basketball, the FIBA uh, Women's Asia Cup is on at the moment. The Tall Ferns going okay too, uh, but a big game coming up. Catch up with Lyndon Moore very shortly. Well, 18 hours, yes, 18 hours after losing by more than 30 points to China in their second pool game at the FIBA Women's Asia Cup, the Tall Ferns were able to turn things around and crush Lebanon by a similar margin yesterday in Sydney. Uh, next up, uh, the New Zealand women's team will face the Philippines in a knockout game to determine who'll play Japan. In the semi-finals, there's a lot on the line, including qualification for the Olympics. And to set the scene for the big game is Hoops Guru, Lyndon Moore, joining us out of Australia this morning. Good morning, Lyndon. Good morning. How's it going? Really cool. Thank you. And thanks so much for your time uh, this morning. Uh, encouraging signs from the performance against Lebanon, or we should not read too much into that? Uh, I think it's definitely, there's a lot of upsides. Uh, looking a little bit more, I think, kind of what we expected closer to Monday's form than what we saw on Tuesday. Um, you know, anything can happen on any given day, but I think it's, I think it's safe to say that things are on the upswing and, um, you know, looking good for Friday. Okay, so uh, we lost to China quite heavily, um, but tell us about Guy Malloy's uh, decision on uh, his starting uh, lineup for that particular contest. I mean, uh, did he rest players? Uh, for the Tuesday game, yeah. So if uh, people who are watching the game, they'll have seen that Talia Tupaya and Panea Davidson uh, were resting, uh, you know, for a number of reasons, you know, thinking along the lines of, you know, Panina played 40 minutes on Monday. She left everything out there. Talia was going really hard. You know, she's still, you know, finding and getting into it. So, and then going against a team like China, while well, the depth of Panina would have been really helpful. You know, also, you know, rest her. And I think Guy saw it as an opportunity to really, you know, give some experience to players like uh, Vittoria Tamilo. And, you know, you saw Ezra Medoldrick go in there. And some of the younger players who are still long and athletic, you know, get them some experience as well. Um, and also, you know, it's, it was going to be a tough game no matter what. Um, but, you know, potentially saving, you know, the best players for, you know, the big game on Wednesday against Lebanon. So I think it was a mix of giving some experience and then also resting the players then. So tell us a wee bit about the impact of uh, Panina Davidson and uh, who else within the group has impressed you at this level? Yeah, I think, I think Panina for sure is because she's, and she's got, I say, some of the, I think one of the most capped internationally on that team. She's one of the veterans, and so she really she understands the defense. And I think her game has just improved being in the WNBL over here in Australia. Um, and so, and having that year's of international experience, I think that impact on the defense, especially. And she's really good under the basket and really strong. And she can, I think, again, has just developed her skill level um, in the pros. So that's been huge yeah I think Talia has been another one that uh, 
people who have been familiar with women's basketball have seen. Um, you know, she played Australia growing up, so coming over to New Zealand to get, uh, you know, I guess people to switch that over was huge. So she, you know, certainly impressed yesterday. Uh, Taylor Dalton, uh, just a mess on defensive end. Uh, so it's been really cool to see her, you know, go out there. I think, you know, the big story that I was talking about was Victoria Tanilo, still young, but I think in terms of we're looking for a sign of the future of what, you know, Toll Friends and Women's Basketball is in New Zealand. Victoria is certainly it. Um, you know, Ezra's been really good, and it's Stella too. Linton, are we now starting to see the effect of a credible women's league in this country coming through at the higher level? Yes. And so here, yes. So um, in terms of that, looking forward to uh, the Philippines, what would you say um, their standard is perhaps to compare to uh, like a Korea? Um, I think, I mean, I would say all the teams are equally tough. I think... The Philippines, from what I've seen briefly, I think they're pretty fast um, and they're pretty good and they can shoot. So defense is going to be key. Um, and just, yeah, locking in and, you know, as long as all the shots are falling in, that, you know, there's a good, I'm sure guys got a good game plan in terms of defense. I think we'll see a similar starting lineup uh, to what we saw yesterday. Um, and just, you know, play to our strengths and do what we do well and pass the ball and facilitate. Then I think it's going to be, um, I think there's a good chance. Are we, uh, are we had to play catch-up against Korea, uh, which we did. It was a hell of a comeback. But I, I just wonder if we can afford to start slow and do that again because, uh, you know, when it comes to a pressure match like this, I mean, everything is on the line in terms of qualification here or the chance to qualify. Uh, yeah. Playing catch-up, perhaps not a great move. No, it's, it's going to be tough. Um, see, because they... New Zealand did, you know, they did well on Monday for a while. The first half was, like, you know, feeling somewhat, dare I say, comfortable. Um, and then Korea, as we saw, came back. Uh, so, you know, just, you can't become complacent. Like you said, starting slow is, um, you know, it is an option. Not necessarily the best or the most favorable one. Uh, so it's, I would imagine, you know, just really got to be, you know, on point and ready to go will be really helpful. Um, but, you know, they're a tough team, so... For some reason, if they start out and, you know, go down a little bit early, then I'm sure they can work their way back. But there's definitely a mountain to climb. Okay, so uh, let's look also uh, optimistically and say we got past that, say we got past the Philippines. What about the possibility of Japan? I mean, how likely, uh, what probability of us actually getting through to the Olympics this time around? Um, I would say so. What, uh, what the toll friends are going to need to do is, uh, in order to get to the Olympics, so if we they get top four uh, in this tournament, they get onto an round of Olympic qualification. So that's why tomorrow is going to be crucial. Uh, so if they win tomorrow, though the semis, that's top four. They're all good. Then they go through um, to the next round to qualify for the Olympics. You know, I think they're, I think they're just, you know, just as good as any team. Um, there's, you know, New Zealand. They brought, they play. You know, the, the style of play is a little bit different. Uh, you know, compared to some of the other countries, and there's some other elements that, uh, you know, New Zealand does a little bit differently, but something that's to their advantage. So I think uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough, uh, especially when you get to the next round, you know, next round qualification. But um, you know, I, they can do it. They've got, they definitely got the talent for it. 
So, Lyndon, in terms of World Women's Basketball, where does the Asian Conference as such uh, sit? Uh, how far behind or what kind of parity do we have there? What kind of expectations do we have for our top teams in Asia? Uh, so, I mean, the Asia route is always a tricky one because um, you've got some of the, I think, four fully professional countries, um, Australia, China, Korea, and I believe Japan. So, uh, it's always it's a tough route to go through with FIBA just because it's you know you have those strong countries but and I'll say like you know the FIBA Women's World Cup last year that was held here in Sydney you know China was you know finished in the top you know in the top three and you know the USA so uh, the Asian Asian countries are really really strong uh, and I think you know Korea's been ranked 12th in the world um, maybe I'm hopefully I got that correct um, so it's they're good and New Zealand they can hold their own. Um, so it's definitely, you know, it's a harder route to qualify, but, um, they, you know, it's, it's doable. And, you know, the Ferns have done very well. What do you see in terms of the level of support in Sydney? Oh, it's been really cool, actually. Um, it's, I, I was just telling somebody, you know, it's, this is my first international tournament that I've been to in person. And I think probably one of the coolest parts of it is that the supporters like China has shown up just in masses with all the fans, you know, the Lebanese crowd has been incredible. They've got their flags. They're just, you know, doing all the cheers, Japan, Australia, you know, even New Zealand, like they've got a really good contingent. There's been you know, some of the families who have flown over uh, who are waving flags. And uh, because there's such a big Kiwi presence in the WNBL uh, here in Australia in the off season, there's a, you know, the, yesterday there was a group of girls who are chanting, pinning his name and then let's go New Zealand. And so the impact that they have, even on people outside New Zealand, is alive and well. So the support has been amazing, um, and people have been really showing out, which is a great sign and great support for the country, but also women's basketball. There's been uh, a number of signings, we understand, in terms of uh, Toiwi Basketball uh, Aotearoa for next season, um, which is a very positive sign. Do you expect to see a, a lot more? Can we expect... Uh, to recruit from uh, some players from the likes of uh, this tournament in particular, this qualifying tournament, uh, as the, as our league begins to grow. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't see why not down the line. Um, it's time. It's interesting because you know international basketball and the calendar. It kind of it clashes. So obviously, it would be great to have someone like the caliber of a Hanju from China. But you know, she's with the New York Liberty, and WNBA runs at the same time. So, and some of those players um, have been dealt over to W or first in time so you know the league is lucky enough to get them uh absolutely it would be great to see it's our you know like you said earlier it's the league the quality of the league has only stepped up and uh you know we saw great a lot of great stuff last year but you know the imports this year are super high standard um yeah i think now it's eight wmba draft picks who are now uh who have signed um some some of whom we know some i think have still yet to be announced but it's a, uh, yeah, it's a number of really good signings, and I think the caliber is just going to continue to increase. Tell us uh, a wee bit, if you could, Lyndon, about this rapid league which New Zealand basketball uh, basketball has developed, uh, running alongside uh, the, the season of uh, the season of Taiwi uh, basketball. What what does that feature? Yeah, it's, it's really cool. I think so. The uh, the whole rapid league concept, I think, was built around making sure that the younger and amateur players get a little bit, get, they get some time too. 
uh, to get to play. So we'll be seeing a lot more of the younger talent. They're going to be shorter games. Um, and then, yeah, it's just going to be it's kind of where the bench players, a lot of the younger ones and the ones who are going to be kind of up and coming. So we, we won't see as many of the prominent players like a Panina who has just signed for the Northern Cahoola. She will not be playing in that. We'll be seeing her in the regular game. But, yeah, the Rapid League is just, you know, getting more exposure for the young talent uh, and, well, you know, helping them get a little bit more time. You know, overall, we talked to a lot of people on uh, the station who um, confirmed to us that basketball is the fastest growing sport in New Zealand. Is, is that consistent across to, to girls and women's basketball as well, you're seeing? Yeah, it's the uptake is just increasing exponentially to see and, you know, just talking with, um, you know, people that I know around, you know, around the community, it's, it's crazy. Like, and the numbers have been as high as, you know, associations have ever seen them. And like, I was at a tri- uh, under 12 trial for a club a couple of weekends ago. And I'm like, in a given day, we had like 39 or 40 show up. And uh, it's just, the number has just been increasing across the board. And, you know, I think, of course, there's always room for growth, but it's every just day by day getting that much bigger, um, which has been amazing to see. So I'd say yes, it's definitely consistent. And that pathway, of course, that you're talking about and, uh, you know, the growth, I, I would imagine, um, also lends towards more scholarships in the United States for our uh, women basketballers? Uh, in a way, I don't think, it doesn't guarantee. I think what's great is, you know, the ones who are playing, they can see, and I think what a lot of, um, you know, been a lot of the stories and talk has been around the promotion of the college pathway because, of course, it is I mean, it is exciting because, you know, if, you, if you're if you able to swing a scholarship to, you know, either the D1, Division one through three school or NAI or JUCO, like you're going to get an education out of it um, or you have an option, to, you know, you also have an option to transfer um, to something else. So there's a lot of opportunities because when a lot of the conversation goes outside of, you know, what you're going to do after basketball and education, I think is probably the strongest the strongest reason to go over to the U.S., at least in my opinion, the basketball straight, but what are you going to do after? So um, I think it's, we're seeing, like, this, there's been a record number of Kiwis who are now over there um, at, at various levels. I think over 100. Uh, um, but the number of girls is just increasing. And, you know, every year we're seeing more and more go over. And this next club, um, you know, there's a pretty cool signing of Lauren Whitaker, who going to Gonzaga, uh, uh, Univers- uh, Gonzaga University in Washington. She's based out of Christchurch right now, year 13, but she's going over. So we're seeing more, um, but the um, the ones that you'll be hearing, you know, you hear a lot about, um, we'll see that pathway. Definitely more. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the women's NBA um, in um, America is absolutely strong. It is so strong. Very high-profile uh, sport indeed. Uh, some of the women coming out of there are absolute superstars uh, in America. Lyndon, um, thank you very much uh, for taking the time to come to us uh, from Sydney this morning. Really positive news. I mean, some people are saying uh, basketball could head up to being uh, one of the top uh, two or three sports in New Zealand. Uh, numbers-wise, etc. in the next five to ten years. Do you see that on the cards? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing, too, is because... And the beautiful thing about it is, you know, you really don't need much to be able to play. 
um, you know, you can manufacture courts or nets or whatever. You need a ball and you can go out and play. And it's just a great way to be active. And, you know, as long as the kids are having fun with it, you know, that's what matters. But the fact that, you know, there are examples in the country now um, that for especially women to look up to and say, you know, I can make a career out of this. I can get education with this. You know, it's promising. Well, it's very promising indeed, uh, Lyndon, and thank you very much uh, for uh, continuing to put it to the forefront. Um, enjoy the rest of your time in Sydney, of course, and uh, all the best for the Tall Ferns against uh, the Philippines and hopefully then against Japan. Thanks for your time again, and uh, have a terrific day. Yeah, all right. You too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Lyndon. Uh, Lyndon Moore there, who is uh, over there in uh, Sydney, keeping an eye on the FIBA Asian Cup. Absolutely outstanding. And, uh, of course, uh, a lot of hope there uh, as uh, we can begin to uh, see the fruits of uh, competitions like Tauhihi and, uh, of course, this rapid uh, basketball tournament alongside that. Just more and more opportunities coming by the moment, it seems. Right, uh, we'll take a break. Uh, when we come back, we might visit the sports desk. Um, and um, interesting, Brian, interesting. I, I just need you to tell me, uh, when did Louis say he wouldn't be at work? Was it um, late last night or was it earlier in the week? Because yeah, uh, I got a feeling uh, 33 million bucks uh, went to uh, someone in Christchurch last night. Uh, I know that he's probably been to um, the Big Fresh in Maryvale. And, I, I, and, and it's coming from Craig this morning. Uh, good morning, Brian and Ian. Louis will be looking for more upmarket digs with his $33 million Powerball win. Also last night I thought I heard this bloke's tongue's name pronounced Tong. My hearing, hearing, hearing must be on the fritz. It might be on the fritz as well. There are a lot of accents in that commentary box, uh, I've got to tell you. But you, you haven't heard from Louis yet, Brian? Uh, no, I haven't. And maybe we should not expect to ever hear from him again. Well, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, it would be nice to know that. Um, not even any free sausage rolls up there this morning? No, no. Come on, Louis, we wouldn't do that. No, jokes. Um, but he's supposed to be back on Saturday for the good oil. So yeah. let's just see how that goes. Well, just uh, wait and see. Uh, Louis, whom and what? Yes, uh, $33 million to some lucky dudes down there in Christchurch overnight. A big school of thought, actually, on that, whether when it gets to that level, whether they should perhaps have... 60 draws for 500000 I mean, $500,000 is a lot of money and make a hell of a difference to it's life -changing. Uh, 66, 66 families as opposed to making a mess of one family. So mm. um, I don't know whether they should look at that down the track. Maybe that's a human interest type thing that a government might look at. Maybe they're too busy doing other things like arguing with each other. It is uh, 11, yes, Ryan? I was just wondering how many trips to Royal Ascot is that worth? Uh, that's a lot of trips to Royal Ascot. In fact, it's probably a membership. Probably a membership at Royal Ascot. Uh, certainly a, a membership of uh, Rickerton and uh, Wingatui, at least. Uh, it's uh, 11.21, and when we come back, we'll visit the sports dish. Not quite sure who's whether Joey's going to do it this morning or Brian. Looks, I think Brian, yeah. I think Brian, yeah. Louis still very much doing his apprenticeship. We're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Yes. Let it get uh, across. Let's get across, as I say, to um, Brian Rarity, who's running the sports desk this morning. Uh, and Brian, so it's a possibility this Musk Zuckerberg thing. To be fair, you're the UFC pundit within the group. 
Yeah, well, yes, Dana White believes so. Um, both men want it, depending, I guess, depending what report you read. Musk seems to be more in it, into it than Zuckerberg, and I think I probably know why. Um, from one corner, you have Elon Musk, who is six foot one, weighs roughly eighty-five kgs. That's one hundred eighty-seven pounds. So that's about Israel's weight, right? The uh, middleweight champion of the UFC, and uh, his claimed style is street fighter. And then on the other side, you have Mark Zuckerberg, five foot seven, a little bit smaller, and one hundred and fifty-five pounds. Now that's Dan Hooker's weight. Okay, so there's a bit of a mismatch there, but Zuckerberg is a jiu-jitsu white belt um, champion. He won a BJJ tournament, Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament in Silicon Valley, the Masters Division, and um, some believe he is actually advanced AI already, so maybe that evens out the playing field there. And then you've got Elon, Elon Musk, who claims to have been in many street fights and was once nearly beaten to death. Uh, he also, if you don't remember, he once caught out Putin, who's currently dealing with the Putiny, so uh, I don't think he can show up and now he wants to smash um, Zuckerberg because I don't know maybe uh, he's jealous of his money uh, now Elon Musk has some big names on his side with the GOAT GSP George St. Pierre offering to train him and there has been footage come out recently online you can find it of him uh, sparring in preparation for this so should be interesting now Dana White uh, wants to run this at UFC 300 uh, odds are already out, okay? Musk opened at plus 290 and Zucker at uh, negative 440. So um, should be interesting. I, I want to see it just because I think most of the world will probably tune in for this one. I don't know. Would you watch it, Smithy? Probably not. I think um, if it was uh, – is, is it going to be the, the headlining act on the card? I mean, if it was – if it was an undercard thing and uh, Israel Adesanya or someone was fighting, I, I may well think about it, Brian. But uh, look, uh, I, I just keep going back to this Dana White. I mean, he he's a genius, this guy. I mean, you'd think Zuckerberg and Musk are geniuses, looking at their bank balance, balances. But Dana White's the genius here. He can get anyone, anyone in the octagon, anyone in a ring, it seems, to fight for his benefit. It, it staggers me beyond belief. Uh, smartest man in the world, Dana White, quite clearly. Oh, he's got to be up there. I, I, I just can't believe it. I mean, for me, if two people agree to punch each other in the face to one of them loses, I'm there to watch it. Um, so, yeah, I guess there's a lot of people um, on that sort of same page there. But I'd, I'd like to see this just for the, uh, the, the novelty factor of it. But I think it would probably either close out the prelims or open the main card. Okay. Fair enough. Right, right. What what else is on your agenda this morning, Brian? Okay, so last night, um, just before bed, so it must have been about 6.30pm, <laughs> uh, I'm on YouTube, right, and um, it cycles through to that, uh, one of the Sky shows, rugby, one of the rugby Sky shows, and they're interviewing... Eddie Jones. Now, Eddie Jones is one of my favourite characters from world rugby ever. I put him above most Kiwis. He's just... I don't know, you, you, you trust him, but you don't trust him. He's such a hard man to read, but he will, you know, he'll come out and tell you your shirt's uh, green when you're wearing a black one, and you'll believe him. So he goes on there last night, and he mentions that there's still 
uh, well, first he mentions why he signed Joseph Swali'i because um, it will bring more eyes across and it'll bring more media across to Rugby Union. And then he said there's probably two or three more to sign. Now, the panel on that show went nuts. Oh, who is it? Who's the name? Is it, you know, sort of, is it this one? Is it that one? And then sort of in the same breath, he goes, well, you know, so often we find ourselves not even on the back page. I think Lawn Bowls will get the back page before us, so we've got to keep us in the news somehow. And that kind of went over the host heads. They kind of missed that bit and was sort of keeping on the, who are you going to sign? Who are you going to sign? So I just want to sort of highlight and and I guess give a shout out to his tactical and his, his genius and his smart, Smithy. He is uh, a smart man. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, I've had a number of coaches before him that hasn't quite worked for you, but you know um, he's going to go about in a, a very interesting fashion uh, trying to uh, put together a, what this Wallabies um, starting 15 or starting 23 and, and what they reveal early on in the piece in this rugby championship I think will be quite interesting. I'm, I'm just as interested to watch them as I am actually the All Blacks to be perfectly honest um, because I, I think they're a chance. Yeah, and actually one more point. He spoke about their playing style, right? He was talking to mm. someone else. I can't remember who he was talking to, but he said that that guy said to him, pass shorter, run straighter. And so and, and uh, so Eddie said yeah. that's that is actually the Australian way. When we were when they were at their best, that was what they did. So they're gonna go back to that. Now now using these sort of these big island boys for the crash ball, I mean it's a it's a brilliant strategy. Pass straighter? Uh, pass shorter, pass shorter? Run straighter? Yeah. Pass shorter on straight. It sounds like a bit of a uh, rugby league. So why wouldn't you go and get some more rugby league players, Brian? Thanks very much for that. Uh, Rightio, folks. Uh, we've got a very serious matter to attend to now, and that's, uh, of course, uh, it's time to stump Smithy. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. We're playing for $200 this morning. Joey's on uh, phones. Brian will be the quiz master. Uh, so uh, get ringing now, and uh, we'll get that sorted. And hopefully, hopefully... Uh, one of you uh, will be able to walk away with that today and wouldn't that be quite cool not quite the 33 million but it's our version of it we'll be back soon Brian let's uh, look at uh, the subjects for today okay so the subjects for today John for you to choose from uh, golf tennis and baseball which one would you like uh, let's try tennis eh righty then okay First question. Wimbledon starts in less than a week with the superstars of the game set to line up for the oldest and most prestigious tournament in tennis. When was the first Wimbledon held? Now it's multi-choice. A. 1901. B. 1877. C. 1862. Or D. 1913. Um, I'm going to go 1901. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Good guess, but it's through to the keeper. Right, now then, I have to think about this because um, I'm not I'm not 100% sure by any stretch of the imagination, but have they, have they had the 120th reunion, 125th anniversary? Have we done one where they've had the 125th, have they had their... If they had their 150th, their 160th, they've been playing tennis that long. You know, they might have been. It might have been in some form. Uh, I'll take a really weird stab here and go back to 1862 because it's on the list. 1862. One of the worst things I have ever seen oh. done on a cricket oh. field. Right, Century Smithy? 
1877. 1877. Wow. wow. Okay, nearly 150 years coming up. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, you're lucky the, the keeper dropped you there, mate. Um, second question. The 2022 women's title was won by Elena Rybakina of Kazakhstan. What woman holds the most titles of all time? At Wimbledon. At Wimbledon, yes. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, there's an edge. Well, um, you've given me an in, I think, uh, because if it wasn't Steffi, um, for me, it just has to be Martina, doesn't it? Um, I'll have to think about this uh, just for a second. Serena Williams, don't think so. Uh, across the board, all titles may be, but Martina had a long, long reign there with Chrissy Everett and those people. I'll go Martina. I have to. Got him. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Back to the pavilion. John, thank you for calling. Uh, we how move. Many, how uh, many? How many? She won, Brian, just by the. Oh yeah, no, team. sorry, sorry. So she won nine, uh, 1978, 79, 82, 83, 84, 85, 86, 87, and 90. That's some damn excellence. Yeah. Oh, she had a great run there, yeah, between 82 and 87. Unstoppable, brilliant tennis player, brilliant. Now we just head uh, up the road, down the road. I'm not 100% sure. Sorry, the furthest I've been in the South Island's Golden Bay. Uh, to Ash Burton and Bevan. Come in, Bevan. Hello. Hey, Bevan. Hey, uh, what's your tennis knowledge like? Uh, a wee bit limited. I was hoping for golf, but we'll give it a nudge anyway, eh? Yeah, why not? Why not? One question for it all, mate. All the cookies here, 200 bucks on the line. Novak Djokovic has seven titles to his name. One behind the Fed Express and is top seed for this year's tournament. He has won six of the last seven Wimbledon finals that he has been in. Who was the last man to beat Novak in a Wimbledon final? Jeez. Uh, that is a toughie. We'll go, we'll try Fed. Could you repeat that, please? The Federer. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. And it's through to the keeper. Well, the keeper's been reading a little bit about uh, Wimbledon lately, I think it's fair to say. Um, and uh, this was interesting because it was a massive moment when they packed Henman Hill, um, which is, uh, of course, that hill outside Wimbledon, um, particularly when they have a local interest in the tournament. And they had local interest in the tournament um, before he broke down and uh, made a, trying to make a comeback now. But I've got a, a, a read, I'm pretty sure I read it was um, Andy Murray. Pretty sure. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Got him! Right in Jackpot. the slot. And away it goes. Too good, Smithy. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about that, Bevan. Um, uh, but it's just because I've been reading up about Wimbledon because it starts next week and we'll be interviewing a lot of people about it. But uh, I, I've, uh, I just, that, that name resonated with me, Andy Murray, the uh, brilliant Andy Murray. Um, and what an occasion that was. I, I, I distinctly remember him actually, uh, the camera following him through um, all the corridors and, and uh, players' rooms, etc. And Wimbledon, and just every time he was, the, the crowd just stayed around because it was Andy Murray, and every time he, they got a glimpse of him, they just went absolutely spare. Uh, so, yeah, Andy Murray, 
uh, was the winner there, which means, folks, uh, tomorrow being Friday, <coughs> last day of the week, uh, we will have uh, $250. Not the most we've ever had. I think we got it to 350 at one stage, but certainly worth winning going into the weekend. $250 worth of bonus bets from the TAB. It is uh, 11.41, and uh, we'll be back shortly. Right, let's look at uh, some texts as uh, we head towards the top of the hour. Um, how good the TAB, says Kane, uh, paid out early on the Warriors to finish in the top eight. Didn't realise that. Um, I got them at 5.50 in January and slapped a lazy 50 down back then. Still 10 rounds to go, so uh, that's good news, Kane. I had no idea about that. Um, haven't uh, haven't seen all the black shirt. Why wasn't NZR given the chance uh, there are loads of good designers uh, in New Zealand. Uh, I think this is a deal um, New Zealand uh, had to approve. I think there was input from the players um, and certainly a lot of input from uh, Adidas, uh, who are the jersey um, name are on the jersey, of course, uh, and will provide it and market it as such. So uh, there were, were quite a lot of uh, avenues gone into to get through this point, which um, apparently I haven't seen it close up. Uh, really close up, um, but it's pretty intricate in its design and uh, took some time by the Frenchman uh, who specialises in street art uh, type design. So uh, there you go. Um, hey, mate, did you see the start of the ashes? Yes, I did see the start of the ashes and uh, the protest about uh, the oil side of things. Uh, that was interesting how they were able to get through there. Uh, not uh, often seen as uh, as often in uh, big English occasions, and uh, certainly not at Lords. Certainly not the done things at, at Lords to be a pitch invader. Um, the ECB is uh, racist and sexist. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I've gone very deep into this. They appointed um, a pretty high-profile panel led by a, a couple of women in particular who looked at it very deeply, and uh, they have uh, ascertained through their research that it is. Uh, divisive, sexist, racist, um, elitist is another word that goes in there. Uh, one of the things they try to do, and Simon Hughes pointed out to me, which I did not realise, is that they have reintroduced those games back at Lords. The two games, uh, Eton and Harrow, now that's uh, uh, regarded as elitist, very private, um, and uh, you've got to have a lot of money to be involved in Eton and Harrow. Uh, those game, an annual game between those two uh, schools has been brought back to Lords, I understand as is the university match between Oxford and Cambridge, uh, which has also been reinstated. I had uh, no idea about that. Uh, so there is the elitist side of it. There was a long period of time where women uh, were not allowed in the pavilion as uh, MCC members. Uh, that, of course, has been overturned, and there are a number of women members. It was a time back in uh, the mid-80s uh, to early 90s as uh, as late as that, that um, the only two women that um, were allowed in uh, the long room or that, that area at all were the Queen and, um, and the caterer. Uh, was, uh, that was what I was hearing. Uh, when the Smithy, when do the black caps drop their Cricket World Cup uh, jersey or Cricket World Cup shirt? No idea. It will have a point of difference like they all do these days. It will have a point of difference. There's no doubt about it. Um, and it will be, yet again, another way... Uh, for them to make a, a bit of money out of <coughs> the marketing side of it, and I guess you could say, why not? Uh, Heisman, those uh, those uh, tan ones will always be the ones, the you know the beige brigade ones. I think they'll still be the the, the uh, pinnacle of uh, the collectors' items. Hi, Smithy, are you planning to get anyone on from the Highlanders? Uh, says Paul. 
Uh, how are they going to replace 26 players, uh, 16 players uh, that are leaving? Yes, 16, not 26. As for the jersey, black is back and keep the marketing crown users away from it. There you go. Um, for, appreciate that from Paul. Um, well, the Highlanders have replaced uh, three of the 16 already, I understand. I've gone for uh, a young fellow, AJ Faliafanga. Uh, he is an Auckland-born Otago playmaker, currently with the World uh, Rugby Under-20 squad and uh, has earned all sorts of uh, praise and a contract from uh, Clark Dermody. Um, he's strong enough to play 10 or 12. Also, uh, I've made a move for Under-20s hooker Jack Taylor from Southland and Otago's Henry Bell will also join the Highlanders to add much-needed work rate in the number two jersey. So they've gone for youth uh, in terms of building for the long term. Uh, and um, obviously uh, picking some of the older players uh, didn't work this time around they gambled on the likes of Freddie Burns and it didn't obviously pay off so the future is what it's all about and uh, maybe we're seeing the influence already of Mark Ellis and uh, his uh, little mini conglomerate there who have bought a share of the Highlanders with a vested interest in their history in rugby Uh, maybe we're seeing them build from the bottom up rather than picking and choosing what's left Uh, in the playing ranks around the country. It's 11.52. Uh, We'll catch up with Staff very shortly to see what's on his show this afternoon.